Thursday Finance for our sponsor Pritchard and Partners and Stephen Pritchard will be joining us. We're going to take a look at currencies and commodities. We're also going to look at deceased estates and what happens as far as your investments are concerned. Henry Jennings will be joining us with his look at the market and what it's up to at the moment and uh, mm, there's a certain report going around that petrol prices might have leapt up in uh, at least one particular uh, petrol chain around the traps in Newcastle today, uh, Pritchard. Yes, a couple. A couple of uh, we've received a couple of uh, emails or telephone calls from uh, listeners telling us that the price of fuels at certain um, service stations around the area, which we, we haven't actually confirmed yet, but, but a couple of people have come and said, um, has gone up by thirty cents uh, overnight. That seems so like that quite seems, a lot. So it seems like a, a lot of money to me. So um, I'd suggest that uh, just be careful where you're going to buy your fuel, and um, if it, if if you if the prices well according to the NMR, NRMA this morning, the average price in Newcastle is a dollar three. So if you, you're going land to get some petrol and it's a dollar thirty, um, I'd be starting to look somewhere else, or um, even a dollar forty. Or even a dollar forty. I was yeah. talking about. well. So just yeah. just keep the eyes open. Yeah, so that's place. right. I mean, it's a case of buy beware and and just make sure that um yeah well the NRMA according to the NRMA this morning the Newcastle unleaded average price was a dollar three so that would be probably where you must you probably can get petrol for that price. We're hoping that that's yeah. going to continue. Um, and that's right. And a thirty cents is a big jump, and, and you know, and I suppose people who are frustrated and want to do anything about it, I'd suggest you ring the managing director of the fuel company concerned. That and sounds fair. Ring the head office, and uh, it's not complain. reflecting a rise in petrol in in oil prices. Is no, it? no, no, no. The, the oil price, the overnight, the oil price was um, we're up four uh, percent from last week, which is about two dollars a barrel. So you know, that's a couple of cents a litre, um, and and yeah, so and, and it wouldn't fly through that quickly anyhow. Mm. Yeah, so so it's just it, it, it's either um, someone's keyed the digits around the wrong way in the um, the pricing matrix, which happens. <laughs> That'd be nice. Or someone's profiteering, <laughs> and you know, you, you, you know, the only thing listeners can really do is not not go there. And if you want to take the next notch, is to ring up the company and ask to speak to the managing director and complain about it. Oh, that'd be good. Let's do. Oh, it. you're surprised who you get through to. You'll be surprised who right. you can get through to. Okay. Uh, okay. And what about other commodities? How well, other commodities. Traveling? Oh, uh, for those people who've got bars of gold, we're we're a bit sad this week. We're down two and a half percent on the week to sixteen hundred and twenty-four dollars an ounce. Uh, silver's down about two percent to twenty dollars an ounce. Um, uh, and the, interesting, we're going to talk a bit later about here. Someone's predicted that the price of gold's going to go to two thousand dollars an ounce next couple of years um uh, it's taken a while hasn't it for a long time it was uh, it's it's almost record levels in australian dollars is it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um the copper price the copper price is um six thousand six hundred fifty seven dollars a ton which was similar to last week and, and the nickel price was down about three percent to eleven thousand four hundred twenty one dollars a ton and the currency well the, the a dollar continues to strengthen um so I think this is, the Reserve Bank's going to have a bit of a problem here, I suspect, because um, they're trying to keep the $8 down and the $8 keeps wanting to go up. So they need to cut the, the, one of the major tools they can do is cut interest rates. Um, but, of course, that's going to fuel the uh, property boom that's going on in certain areas. So anyhow, so the Australian dollar was up to $0.75, cents, um, uh, 75.62 cents last night, which is up another 1.5% on the week. Um, we're up against the British pound of 1.6% of uh, 53 pence. And we're up against the New Zealand dollar of 
Martin, so it's a dollar eleven, and the euro cents we're up about one percent to sixty seven euro cents. So overall, the, the dollar was up for the week by around one percent against all the major currencies. Hmm. So that's good news if you're uh, going to import something or you're um, going to travel overseas. Not so good news if you're an exporter. Yes. Yes, or for people travelling to Australia. Um, and the All Ordinaries, well, the Ordinaries was down a bit for the week to um, by about 1% to 5,175 um, compared to last week. Um, the, the Dow Jones was up 2% to the week, 17,325, and the Nikkei was up about 2% for the week to 16,974. So the world equity markets were up you know, around about 1% to 2% of the week. So that, that's all quite good. And what we spoke about earlier, the, the yeah, Wex Tesla's intermediate crude price was up uh, 4% of the week to $51 a barrel. So, you know, I mean, while the, while the crude oil price is up 4%, um, that does kind of explain a 30%. Um, <laughs> yes, well. Um, and, and the unleaded fuel price in Newcastle... Um, According to the NRMA, uh, was a dollar three point nine the average price, and um, the diesel price was a dollar twelve. Um, and sorry, sorry, sorry. The unleaded fuel price in Newcastle was a dollar three, and in Sydney was ninety eight cents. So we're uh-huh. five. So it's still sub a dollar in Sydney. I don't know that I've seen it sub a dollar up here for a long. Mm long time and um so so that was down 17 percent on the week in sydney last week and the diesel price in newcastle was a dollar 12 uh, which is down two percent on the week and sydney is a dollar seven so um whether whether the price is a dollar 40 in newcastle a dollar three we're still significantly above sydney's prices <laughs> indeed we are so it looks like we're subsidizing sydney again uh. We're wonderful, aren't we? This is Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. We are just about to get our market snapshot right now. Henry. Good afternoon, Stephen. How are you? Good. I I saw that um, Woolworths is is looking to stretch out their supplier payment terms. Is this to pay the petrol bill for the the consultant CEO or something? Uh, <laughs> it will be. So if they're going to stretch their supply terms to 60 days to, to bolster cash flow, well, what, I thought they would have had plenty of cash down there. Um, you would have thought so, wouldn't you? I mean, this is not a good look, I guess, from Woolies. They, they've been accused in the past of squeezing their suppliers and pushing these terms out uh, to double what they are at present um, is really not a good way to treat your suppliers. And I think it's, it's I guess it's abusing your monopoly privileges um, and, you know, it's, it's really not a nice thing to do. These poor guys are, are struggling to, uh, to survive on the wafer-thin margins that they've already got, that Woolies are imposing them on yep. them, and then they, um, they screw them even more. So not a great incentive to do business with Woolies. You'd much rather do business with Coles. Well, I think it's atrocious, actually. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, that, you know, that those suppliers and some of them are reasonably small businesses. Um, you know, how are they going to fund the, their staff wages and everything that has to be paid every two weeks or every week, even? And, and Woolworths isn't going to pay them for sixty days. Yeah, I think it's atrocious, actually. And of course, all this is against the backdrop of the uh, massive executive remuneration these guys uh, pull out of the business, and uh, there they are screwing the little guys. So. Um well, yeah. I was, I actually, I was thinking, does that mean the director's fees are only going to be paid 60 days in arrears now as well? Um, I would not think 
so, no. I think the age of entitlement of Woolies is well and truly still upon them. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Woolies, Woolies subsidiary Dan Murphy's must be doing something right. The, the online liquor business seems to be growing and growing and is now growing at the rate of three times that of the stores. Yeah, I mean, it's still a very... Um, small. It's still a very small part of their... Uh, their business, but as you say, it is growing quite quickly. Um, they're also uh, growing their channels whereby, uh, I mean, this is ironic really, but um, they're screwing these guys as well, whereby um, small suppliers can actually sell direct um, through their platform. I think it's called Collections. Um, oh, and yeah. A, and as a result, small winemakers and small, uh, maybe even small, you know, gin or whiskey makers can actually use the, the Dan Murphy platform to sell their wares. Um, and they pay, obviously, Dan Murphy's a, um, a sort of a listing fee, much like eBay, and instead of it going through the Dan Murphy logistics chain, it actually goes direct from the winemaker or, or spirit maker um, from uh, from them direct to the customer. So um, it's, I guess it's an interesting model, and it shows how um, you know you can leverage up that um, that sort of that, that platform and those, those clicks and those eyeballs um, and take a small cut of the... Um, of those um, boutique suppliers. So they're basically just selling on a commission basis? Yeah, say, they're yeah. basically doing a commission deal. Um, there's obviously some uh, some pushback in terms of how much money Woolworths uh, or Dan Murphy's are actually taking out of the commission, but there's certainly some companies that seem to be quite happy with the arrangement in terms of uh, you know, it's cheap marketing, it gets them on a big platform, it gives them a, a national or even sometimes, I guess, international presence, which they may struggle to do on their own. Mm, it seems it seems quite innovative to me, actually. Well, it's uh, one of the one of the um, one of the moves that uh, the new guy Brad uh, Bandushi um, has. Uh, he was the man in charge of Dan Murphy's and got it all going um, before he got elevated to CEO of the whole group. So I guess it shows that he can think outside the box. Um, but certainly, you know, the move against suppliers with this sixty-day thing is uh, is, is just typical Woolworths, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and what a difference a week makes here. I mean, <laughs> the iron ore price, we're, we're very happy. Or a number of people were very happy with it last week, particularly uh, uh, a couple of the iron ore mining companies. Yeah. And, and, and we're down 5% in one day. Six, six straight days the price has fallen. Did you really think it was going to last, Stephen? Did uh, anybody I thought it was really too good to be true. Nothing had changed. The problem with the iron ore price is that it is not a particularly sophisticated market. It's traded very much in China on the Dalian Commodity Exchange, um, and it is open to um, mass speculation um, and complete knee-jerk reactions. And yet, we base, you know, our economic modelling on on this, and companies base their huge, uh, you know, uh, dirt-digging operations on this. So, it's not the most sophisticated market. I mean, it's it's only been around for a few years because previous to that, the iron ore companies used to trudge off to. Uh, Tokyo or Shanghai or Beijing, and actually discuss a fixed price with uh, mm-hmm. with their customers, as opposed to uh, this free floating uh, iron ore price. So we did have a twenty percent move up in one day, which is just plainly, absolutely, complete rubbish, um, and it was never going to last. And of course, it hasn't. It's come all the way back again in six days, sort of three, four, five percent a day, until we're pretty much back to where we started. So nobody got too carried away with this price. Um, uh, I think there was some champagne pot corks popping, but I think that the, the real big thing is that at least the price showed that it could go up that much, which I guess is once you've sort of set the set the mould, uh, even though the uh, the liquid shrinks a bit, you, you know that it can possibly expand to fill that mould. So I guess there's always the potential for it to go back there in the future, which would, which would delight a lot of people. 
Yeah, I mean, it was one of, one of the previous high-flying, very well-paid executives of BHP pushed to move from uh, the long-term supply contracts to a spot contract, yeah. which which made his particular time at the company look a lot more profitable. But one yeah. would, would think that's done a lot of damage to that company. Well, I guess, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it was the move they made back in the, um, I guess, the early... Uh, noughties, as they're now called, um, to, to push for um, for this kind of uh, spot pricing as opposed to uh, fixed pricing. You would imagine that um, it's had swings and roundabouts, but certainly if you look at BHP's performance over the last 10 years, it's hardly been stunning um, in terms of share price. It's probably back to where it was. Um, and um, you know, But you have had a lot of chances along the way to make a lot of money, as with all these things, as has BHP. But as you know, they have fumbled the ball. They paid top dollar for acquisitions, um, you know, at the top of the market. And uh, now, when it's the bottom of the market, they're they're pulling in their belts, tightening uh, tightening things, and, and putting their wallets away and not buying anything uh, when they should probably be out there buying stuff. Mm. So they've got no money. They've wasted it. Well, uh, that's right. And um, and uh, has any of the board resigned as a result of this twenty billion write-off yet? No, no, no. People on boards don't resign. I mean, let's face it, you've only got to look at Slater and Gordon. Mm. You know, the CEO has uh, presided over a share price that's gone from 8 bucks to 28 cents or something. And you think he'd be resigned? No. You think yeah. he'd been sacked? No. Still at the trough. But yeah. anyway. That's right. And um, speaking of that, uh, LJ Hooker was going to float their real estate business, but that name seems to be been put on hold temporarily, <laughs> and McGrath, which was going to be the uh, great float of the year, seems to be uh, sinking further and further. I, I noticed this week it was at an all-time low at one stage. Yeah, I mean, all-time hasn't been very long for poor old McGrath. Um, they've only been around since, uh, since really sort of since Christmas. Um, but, um, but yeah, they, they have not had a good run as a, as a public listed company. Um, they started life around $2.10. Um, and now they're a dollar twenty-eight. So um, I guess there was a lot of uh, a lot of people were um, sort of suggesting that this was a sign that the property market had peaked, that you're getting these real estate guys coming to the market. Um, and there's a lot of um, a lot of commentators suggesting that real estate's going to crash, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, at the end of the day, we've just had um, some unemployment numbers out, which showing 5.8 percent unemployment. We've got GDP growth at three percent, which is the envy of most of the uh, Western world. Um, it's very hard in, with those two things in place and record low interest rates to see why you would have any massive crash in property prices. Um, generally, you may get pockets where things have got overdone in terms of um, you know, resource towns and things like that, where people have geared up and, and, and paid silly money for silly houses and suddenly um, the circus has left town and they're, they're left holding the baby. But generally, it's hard to see property crashing so you would think that either McGrath's was way too expensive to start with, which it probably was, or it does hold a bit more potential at these uh, these low levels. So, so maybe their their day in the sun will come back again. But certainly, it did seem an expensive float in quite a volatile industry. Uh, it reminds me of run property to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. Replay yeah, that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, there's always at the top or bottoms of the markets. There's always a, a, a canary that sings quite loudly in the in the in the coal mine that gives you that sort of that warning. Mm. Um, sometimes it's hard to see the warning at the time, and it's only in hindsight mm. that you see it. But certainly, the McGrath one was very well publicised. That 
here was a property company, you know, a real estate agency floating at what was perceived to be the top of the market, and that was very much the canary in the coal mine. One of the, one of the stocks that's had a bit of glitter on it over the last year or so is Dore Minerals, the emerging gold producer. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the actual gold production companies are actually producing gold. They have had a reasonable run or good runs on their share prices, as distinct from the exploration things. Yeah. Um, and and uh, the managing director's come out and said he expects the gold price to get to two thousand dollars an ounce over the next few years. Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah, I was saying that. <laughs> I mean, let, let, I mean, at the end of the day, the gold stocks have been absolute stunning performers so far this year. The Australian gold price was knocking on the door of its record high, um, and this is a function of two things. One, one is the uh, the U.S. gold price has been creeping up uh, as the, uh, the U.S. dollar has been falling away, and we've seen negative interest rates around the world, which means makes it a little bit more attractive to hold gold. But the biggest event is the the Aussie dollar falling from uh, sort of that, that parity level back down to, uh, to 75, which has really sort of uh, galvanised the Aussie gold price. So um, Alan Kelly, who's the, um, the CEO of Dore Minerals, he's looking at $2,000 for the gold price. I mean, he's predicating that on an Aussie dollar uh, between 60 and 65 cents, which frankly is, is not going to happen. Um, there's, there's no way at, at the moment with our interest rates by the RBA at 2% and the rest of the world turning negative, and the Fed actually uh, not in the raising rate game anymore, it seems, um, that we are going to see the Aussie dollar uh, come under any pressure. It certainly is going to be very well supported just on a, on a comparative basis with all our other trading partners who are currently trying to stimulate and have taken their interest rates to negatives. Mm. Mm. Well, anyhow, uh, the gold, the gold, people who've invested in gold producers have done very well over the last... Oh, Australian gold producers. Uh, they have. I yes. mean... The, the key is not only I mean, the Australian gold price has been near record highs, as I said, but also um, they've uh, taken advantage of falling fuel prices, which helps them big time because a lot of these operations are out in the middle of nowhere and run on diesel. Um, and they've also taken advantage of uh, much, much lower labour costs um, as the mining boom has unwound and that stress on, uh, on labour has uh, unwound with it. Uh, their costs have come down dramatically. And a lot of these guys are producing gold at less than $1,000 The good thing about gold, there's no problems with selling it, unlike coal and iron ore. Well, there is. There, I mean, it's a very sophisticated market. You can hedge, you can do all sorts of things mm. with it. So, uh, not that that's a very fashionable thing, but certainly, as you say, there's no problem uh, selling the uh, selling the end mm. product. And speaking of selling things, I was in the, the chemist the other day, or the pharmacy yesterday, yesterday, and yep. um, Blackmores have already got their uh, uh, their uh, infant food out on the shelf. And this is the new product. The new product. It's come out and it looks it was very smicked in and looks and it's the most expensive one there. Really? That does surprise me. Yeah, so uh, there's <laughs> um, yeah, going to be plenty what, of margins in that. There is going to be plenty of margins in that. I mean, it's all to do with this clean and green theme uh, of stuff going into China with this emerging middle class. Um, one of the interesting areas that we were discussing at Marcus today this morning um, was. Um, not only baby formula, but also old age people formula, um, nutritional supplements for an aging population. China and Japan both have aging populations. I think Japan sells more adult nappies than it does children's nappies. Um, and as populations in both these countries age, they're looking for nutrition. 
nutritional supplements and not only can uh, these guys like Murray Goldburn, Blackmores, etc., pump out supplements for uh, or baby infant formula powder, but they can also uh, do the same with uh, with some products for um, for old age, uh, for, for the old age uh, or the the aging population. So that is a, a, another big big market that these guys will tap into, I guess, in the next five years. Well, because Murray Goldburn's announced they're going to spend three hundred million updating their. Uh or expanding their baby yeah. formula. And I assume yeah. it's basically the same technology that you're going to use for, um, what did you call it, ageing formula? Uh, well, ageing, Nutritional yeah. supplements? It's a, Nutritional supplements. Yeah. I mean, I guess people think of it like things like Sustagen and those yeah. sorts of things. But, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, mm. with the Australian reputation, with more and more Chinese uh, travelling to our shores and they're seeing the benefits and looking at our lifestyles and going, well, how can we get that? How can we get clean air and clean environment and live... Um, you know, longer, better lives, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a big market, I think, going mm. forward. And um, another float that came off that, that was that was also going to be, uh, this just shows that investing in IPOs isn't always the way to make money that people seem to think it is. Uh, no. Temp- Temple and Webster was going to be a, a great float to invest in, and yeah. uh, its price share price is down 70% in a couple of months. Yeah, it's, it's done really well, hasn't it? It's amazing. Um, uh, Temple and Webster, for those um, listeners who don't know, they're sort of an online furniture and homewares retailer. I seem to have made it onto their email list and I get bombarded every day with, do I want to buy a lampshade with a, mm. with a cow pattern on or something? Um, but they've had some issues, I think it's fair to say. They spent a lot of money on marketing and not got an awful lot of traction. The stock price uh, has dropped from uh, from a dollar to 29 cents. Um, I have to say, at 29 cents, it's probably looking somewhat better value, especially given that they raised, um, I think, about 29 million bucks in the in the float, or have that on cash. Um, and the market cap, when it was at uh, the other day, was only 27 million. So they've actually got more cash than the company's worth. So it's starting to look a little bit more attractive. Um, but they've yet to get their, um, their marketing strategy right. They're yet to convert uh, people like me uh, into, uh, into actual paying customers. And one of the problems they've got is, I mean, from my point of view, is that they are not an expensive, uh, not an inexpensive uh, way of buying homewares. And, of course, you can't touch or feel them. So if the price differential between them and, and hardly normal is, is, is nothing, well, then why would you, um, you buy something online right. and, and take the chance that it's going to look good uh, when it arrives? And it's all very well say so you can send it back at no charge. All that's a hassle. You've got to ring up and get numbers. Yeah. And I mean, so it's all uh, too you hard. You've got to go in the post office. You've got to package it up. Uh, I've played this game uh, recently with stuff and by the time you buy your bubble wrap and you wrap it all up and etc and whatever i'll try and cram it back in the same box it's just mm. a lot of hassle where whereas you can just pop into your local um local sort of boutique mm. um, furniture store and buy this stuff yep. for pretty much the same price if not cheaper sometimes yep. and the lady i'll even have talked to you down there yes and uh, just one thing, which I'm sure you'll be pleased to, uh, the, the John Wiley had a comment in this, this morning's financial review. He's a um, uh, well-known investment banker from Melbourne, um, about um, which is I've always said for ages that some of these directors on these boards don't own enough shares in the company. And, and, you know, they just seem to be there for the director's fees. And, you know, there's nothing aligns the director's interest with the um, with the, the, with the shareholder's interest as having a significant stake in the, in the company as well, I think. Well, I think that's, you know, that, that's very true. It's, it's always good to see uh, the directors of a company have a, have a big stake in, in their success. Um, I think that's always a, a tick in the box. Um, sometimes it can be 
a little bit um, a little bit too worrying, I guess. And a little, you know, you can get the, the stage where you had someone like Eddie Groves, who yep. had so big a stake in his firm, and it was all leveraged. Um, but once it starts to unwind, he's actually forced to sell down his stake, just making things worse. So there is a temptation of that, but certainly I think generally, you know, it's a good sign that uh, companies have directors who do have actual physical shares in their company as opposed to just some options that were given to them or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's it's right. nice to see them putting real money where their mouths are, but unfortunately, you know, some of these guys are on multiple boards on the, on the director merry-go-round, and as a result, you know, they can't put money into every company that's significant because you know, some of them can't afford to. They've got other obligations, but certainly mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a good thing when you see directors backing um, their judgment, um, but it also it, it can be bad if they have too big a dominant position. Oh, oh, I agree, but, but I mean, there's a number of directors who seem to be on multiple boards that don't have any shares. Yeah, well, that, 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 you know, that to that's, me is... is a, a sore time to sell. Yeah. Anyhow, Jane's telling me you have to wind up here. Oh, okay. So you'll have to, go back, day, have to go back writing your uh, uh, newsletter. Okay. So do you send out an afternoon one as well, Henry? I send out a free afternoon end-of-day report, which uh, you guys can, uh, your listeners can get with at marcustoday.com.au and that's a, that's a freebie you don't have to sign up or, or pay for anything that just uh, comes out so it's, okay. uh, and I'll write that one so it's always fun okay well thanks, thanks very much Henry Jennings and it's always good to hear your views and see what's going on Thursday Finance thanks to our sponsor Pritchard and Partners and Stephen Pritchard it seems there might be some things we should th- or we'd be better off to think about earlier rather than later with deceased estates and our investments. Uh, yeah, we've we've had a, we've had a well, lately we've had a few um, people come in, not necessarily clients who've got these um, deceased estates, and um, sometimes there's not much you can do because it's all been done wrongly. So I, I thought I might just go through a few things. First of all, if if their investments are in listed shares and they're jointly held, um, they'll automatically go to the survivor. So that's really um, all you really need to do is produce a death certificate and the um, the death certificate and and the shares will be transferred to the survivor of so the we're joint talking, holding. So we're talking about a joint holding, a married couple here? Yep, married couple. Or if it were perhaps father and son or mother father and daughter? And son. Um, yep, but they're same. usually just held joint as distinct from tenants in common. Most are held most held joint, and it's very simple. Uh, the, the shares go to the joint holder. Um, so, but but what happens is, is when the when the when the share register or the broker is notified that someone has passed away, um, there's a holding lock put on those shares. Now that remains in place until um, you know you, you produce the death certificate saying that. Um, the person's died, and um, and if it's a joint holding, it it, it then gets transferred to the um, to survivor. Now, if if it's just in the individual's name, the holding lock stays in place until probate's granted, because until probate's granted, the the will's basically got no effect, and until the, until the Supreme Court grants probate, um, no one can basically deal in those shares. Now. Um, once probate's granted, um, the shares will then be transferred to to the holding locks taken off. The shares will then be transferred to um, whoever the will says it goes to. Now, what what seems to be happening is that um, that people uh, um, aren't getting probate granted, and this can create all sorts of problems. So, um, we had someone in there this week. Um, they had a reasonable you know reasonable size portfolio. They they decided not to get probate granted to save some costs. Come into us, want the shares transferred. They're not our clients. Uh, nothing can be done. 
be because um, she'd actually already gone to the share register and tried to do it herself, and of course they wouldn't let her. They wouldn't no. let her because um, if the if the share register transfers the shares and it turns out that she wasn't entitled to them, um, um, you know the share register's got a problem. So so you need to make sure that you know when you've got um, a reasonable size estate. Um, that that you are getting probate granted now for for people who've just got you know might have a few shares in NR, um, NRMA or, or, or NIB there's a thing called a small in state estates indemnity form where where the company will actually let you transfer the shares if you if you complete this indemnity form um, but that varies from company to company um, how much they'll they'll let you do and it's usually only um, five to ten thousand dollars right so anything more than that. Um, you need to get the probate credit, or you're going to have a lot of a lot of problems down the track. Is there much involved in, get, in getting probate granted? Ah, oh, it's, it's not like it used to be. There's basically an application made to the court, um, uh, uh, an advertisement goes into the paper, uh, and what it basically says that you know the, 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 the court's going to approve the will. Anyone who wants to object or any creditors can come forward, and 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 then after that, the, the court then. Approves the will. The executives uh, then got the legal power to deal with the assets, and and the court gives you some kind of document for grant of probate. And then it's really easy. You just send the grant of probate off to the register with the transfers and the and the will, and they'll just process them in normal course so of events. Is it something you do yourself, or your legal advisor uh, would do it for you? Your legal advisor they mm. normally do it, and, and unless it's a large estate, it's not that expensive. Mm. I mean, unless it's a large complex estate, yes, um, it's not that expensive. Okay. Um, and you know, if you've got you know a couple of hundred thousand dollars of shares, um, you it's just not going to happen, and you're not going to be able to transfer them unless you get probate granted. Mm. Mm. Uh, and the other thing people need to think about is 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 is, and this is important too. If you've got a self-managed superannuation fund, um, and you've got two trustees, um, the stock exchange clearinghouse or chest doesn't recognise the trust; it only recognises the individuals. And if one of those passes away. That account will be frozen until probate's granted. Right. Okay. So you need to seriously think about um, whether whether um, having individual trustees of a self-managed superannuation fund is the right option for you. Right. So there are plenty of things plenty to of think things. about um, with your investments. Thank you very much, Stephen Pritchard. That's Thursday Finance for today. We'll be back next uh, Thursday after the midday news on Two and You Are FM.